0: Hey, what's up, guys? Thanks so much for joining us. You know, this is the final week of what has been one of my favorite, favorite, favorite series, Coming Home. as We've looked at some of the dynamics that happen in our home life, even in the past, uh, either in the past or in the current context of our home life that can uh, easily trip us up and undermine us. But how when we apply the truths of Scripture, oh my gosh, how God empowers us to break through and break out of some of those challenges. So uh, today uh, I want to talk about uh, this final lesson uh, that I'll talk about in just a few moments. But first, let me give a shout out to those of you who are watching from our San Jose campus. If you're in San Jose, can you make some noise in San Jose? Praise God. I especially want to celebrate those of you for whom this is your first or second time joining us in San Jose. Thank you. I pray that you're blessed. And then a shout out to all the rest of you who are watching online. Some of you are watching us on big screen TVs and checking out us on YouTube. Others, and you're with your family or friends. Others are watching by yourself on a, telephone, on a, on a mobile phone, a mobile device, etc. Uh, wherever you are, whenever you're watching this, this is a God-ordained moment. Thank you. I want you to lean in uh, and hear what God has to say to you today. Now, uh, today's message, I've called it simply The Invitation. Can you say the invitation? Yes. Type it in the chat if you're engaging with us in the chat. The invitation. Now, this is the sixth week of this series. We've been looking at the same passage of Scripture for this uh, period of um, teaching. It's commonly known as the parable of the prodigal son or the lost son. But for those of you who are just joining us, we're going to summarize and just just work it through and set up today's teaching. All right, here we go. Luke chapter 15, verse one and two. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they muttered, "This man referring to Jesus, welcomes sinners?" And he even eats with them. They said with disgust. And his father saw him coming. And feel, I love this. Filled, remember the father represents God, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. And his son says to him, Look, let me own my stuff, Dad. I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But well, this father disrupts the whole thing and says to the servants, Quick! Oh, go bring me the finest robe in the house and put it on this young man. Get a ring for his finger, sandals for his feet, and kill, kill that calf that we've been fattening. We've got to celebrate, man. We've got to have a feast, for this son of mine was dead, and now he has returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So, so the party began. Can you say, so the party began? I love it. And then the older brother's said to be coming in out of the field, and he hears about this party being thrown for his brother, his younger brother, at his return. He becomes completely irate. Here's what the text says. The older brother became angry and refused to go in the house. Check out the father. So his father went out and pleaded with him. Can somebody just simply say amen? Lord, bless this teaching. May it be transformative in Jesus' name for all of us. Amen and amen. So today I want to talk uh, a little bit about this topic that I've called the invitation. Let me give you a quick summary of the last several weeks of teaching for those of you are just joining us. The first week we started by talking about if, you, uh, if you're in the middle of wrestling with relationships that have become toxic. Uh, how do you know it's time to let go? And let me just give a footnote to that, which is, uh, I'm adding right now. It's not in, the, in that particular message. Sometimes it's not about letting the person go. It's about letting go certain expectations. My wife often tells a story when we jointly do marriage retreats that in the first five years of marriage, it was often miserable for her, partly because she entered that marriage with some expectations about me that just wasn't going to be realistic. She ultimately realized that she could not change me, but she could change her expectations. And so when she changed her expectation, my goodness, then suddenly the relationship began to be filled with much more joy and much more uh, experienced love. Sometimes, friends, you've got to change your expectations. You've got to let expectations go. And then the second week, we took on the question, which is a really, really important question. All right, that wayward child wants to come back. Okay, that, 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 that person that I was in love with, I broke up with, or uh, that sibling that really just so violated things that we, we broke up our relationship. How do I know it's time to try again? That was week two. In week three, we explored the fact that at the heart of most dysfunctional relationships is selfishness. How do you recognize selfishness in your own life? Destructive selfishness. And then, of course, on Easter Sunday, we talked about the father in this text, right? Who's got two boys. We talked about the father's house. This is a house of grace. I'm returning to that theme uh, today. And I talked about how NBCC seeks to be a house of grace, both our online campus and in person for all of us. And then last week, you know, at the heart of the kind of loop that gets us caught in bad choices uh, is often toxic guilt and shame. How do we recognize it? What are the messages that it sends us? How do we break that power in our lives? So you see, guys, I walk through this because I just want you to know, if you're just joining us for the very first time, this is a series you need to engage with. So just go to our website, nbccvary.com, watch. Make sure you carve out some time to walk through this. And as a matter of fact, it's, it, many of these messages are messages that you, you're going to be even extra incentivized to share with family and friends. I encourage you to do just that. All right, now let's get started today talking about the invitation. I, I want to suggest to you, that there are three invitations in this remarkable story that's often called the parable of the lost son. And depending upon who you are and where you fit in the story, either one of these uh, invitations or any combination of these invitations can literally, literally, literally transform your life. Literally. And can position you to be transformational in a real concrete way in the world. Now, all of these invitations come out of this thing that we call grace. Can you say grace? Type that in the chat if you're engaging in the chat. Just simply type grace. Now, Jesus tells this story, calls our attention first to the older brother. Uh, At least I want to call our attention to the older brother. Uh, For Jesus, there's the older brother and there's the younger brother. There's an invitation that comes to the older brother from the father. That, and remember, the father represents God. And I want us to hear this in its context with some fresh ears today. And I want to see whether or not we potentially locate ourselves in this older brother. Now, let me just remind you that in the parable, the older brother represents the religious leaders. And the religious leaders are framed and experienced as people who are literally self-righteous and their self-righteousness keeps them from understanding what it is that makes Jesus' interaction with these sinners and tax collectors so irresistible. And how, how, can he, how can he interact with folk that is not even welcome in the synagogue? So, the older brother. Verse 28 of chapter 15 picks up here. The party is going on. The youngest son has, refer, has returned. And it says, the older brother became angry. Once he heard what was going on and refused to go in. Remember a couple of weeks ago, I called it the father's house is the house of grace. Can you say the house of grace? He refused to go in the house of grace. Now, I want you to notice what the father does who represents God. He says, so the father went out and pleaded with him. You know, when we often talk about the older brother who represents the self-righteous religious leaders, we, we, we often scold. Uh, but I want you to notice the tone of the text. It says that the father went out and pleaded. Do you hear the tenderness there? Do you hear the compassion that the father approaches those who we often call self-righteous, do you, do you hear the sensitivity that comes? I want to suggest that while we often refer to the older brother as the self-righteous one, and that's an appropriate term, I want us to give you a different term that makes it a little bit more practical in its application for us. I want to suggest that the older brother also represents for us perfectionism. You know, that personality that we often talk about as Perfection. Let me give you the definition for it. Perfectionalism. Can you just say that word? Can you say perfectionism? Yes. It's a tendency to pursue flawless performance and set, here's the word, shout excessively. Excessively. High standards. It's okay to set high standards, but this is excessively high standards leading to self-criticism and being highly critical to others, often resulting in difficulty. When it comes to accepting mistakes or imperfections, I want to suggest to you that part of why it was very difficult for the religious leaders to understand how Jesus could interact in such a remarkable, loving, and grace filled way with these sinners and these tax collectors who uh, were considered the, the kind of like the scum of the earth, these tax collectors in particular, because of how they Abuse their own people, right? How could Jesus interact with these people in such a way that the, that the religious leaders was, was, was looking at that entire scene of Jesus in the house and all these folk gathered around him. Come on now, bring in their shame and they get, all that stuff. Uh, they were looking at this through the lens of perfectionism. You know, James describes the burden that they carried And James describes a burden that many of us carry in this context when he writes in chapter 2, verse 10, for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. And while many of us may not be thinking about there were 600 some laws in that Jewish context, and what James is saying, look, if you mess up one, you've broken all of them. Wow. Can you imagine that burden? And while many of us may not be thinking about trying to maintain the religious law, many of us live our lives trying to live up to the law of perfectionism. And, 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 and we get that, that the moment we miss one jot of it, the moment we, 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 one thing gets out of place, how the whole thing seems to fall on us. We, those, some of you are listening to me, you, you, you get that. You get that. Let me tell you some things that perfectionism can lead to. First of all, and you can see it in the older brother. First of all, uh, if someone is, is a perfectionist, they tend to be uh, committed to high achievement. And uh, they tend to be successful in certain areas because they pay a lot of attention to details. And they have a in tremendous work ethic. This old brother in his own right, was successful. These religious leaders were successful. They had, uh, he had a strong work ethic. He took care of the farm. He took care of all of the responsibilities. He paid attention to the various details. That should be commended. However, we mustn't confuse perfectionism with what I call uh, normal high achievement. Here's why. If you're committed to normal high achievement, let's say you want to get an A, and you do the work that you need to do, and you come up with a B+. The person who is healthy in this context uh, celebrates the B+, recalibrates, gets ready. Next few weeks, they're going to try it again, see if they get the A the next time. But if you are a perfectionist, you stay up all night. you worry about what could I have done differently? What did I miss? How come I didn't? You berate yourself. You browbeat yourself. This is why we use the term excessive high standards, standards that are not reasonable for you to continue to set. And as a result, here comes the second point. T- perfectionism tends to lead to anxiety and depression and procrastination. You put it off because you're not sure that you can get it all right. Burnout. Relationship difficulties because, because, because you're, you're, you're missing the mark or you're holding other people. This is extraordinary, high standard, and they're missing the mark. And so the relationships are often filled with anger, like we saw in the older brother, or high control. Yeah, perfectionism. Thirdly, the person may simply experience a constant sense, and we're going to see this in just a moment with the older brother, a constant sense of pressure, a fear of failure, a fear of never being enough, never fully measuring up. And ultimately, a person who fits this criteria may struggle to find satisfaction in accomplishment. You may be making all kinds of accomplishments, but you, 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 you can't really enjoy the accomplishments because you're always focused on the flaw. The imperfection. It's the vocalist who sings a beautiful song and, and the crowd gives them a standing ovation but they walk off stage and they, they, they toss and turn overnight because that one particular note was not just right. It's the preacher like myself in this sense who, who, who prepares a message and, and, and drives through the message and, and, and people are blessed but, but, but we can often, but, but maybe I should have said it this way you can become so focused on the flaws, uh, 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 on the mistakes. You know, this kind of person uh, becomes uh, a difficult parent to have, a challenging spouse, a lover to be in a relationship with, a heartbreaking student, because all you can see are the mistakes or the things that are wrong. You beat yourself up and you beat others up and yet I want you to hear the father in the text say, who comes out to you through this teaching, not scolding you, not screaming at you, but very tenderly pleading with you. Come on into the house of grace. Well, listen to what the son says. Listen to how the son's answer. And we're going to just walk through this real quickly. He says, but the answer, the son answered the father, look. All these years I've been slaving for you. Stop right there. Can you hear it? The father is the, the son is really saying to his father, you look at that language, that harsh language, slaving for you. And what, what he's implying is, I've been, I've been just strung out. That's not an affirming term, slaving for you. And it's still not enough. That's what he's suggesting. It's still not enough. It still doesn't garnish the kind of love that you've just poured on my brother. Then he goes on to say, and never, here's the the perfection term right there, and never disobeyed you. Now, if he never, ever, ever disobeyed, that would make him perfect, right? (laughs) That's an exaggerated perfectionist term right there. Never disobeyed your order, yet you, here's the word again, never gave me even a young girl. Oh, not only only am I talking in, in perfect terms about myself, if you're the elder brother in this text, but he is now misplacing criticism on his dad. What he's saying about the dad is that you have never expressed your love for me in the way that you've expressed your love for this young man. And he's just absolutely wrong. But his perfectionism causes him to misplace this criticism on his dad. And then watch as he goes on. But when this son of yours who has squandered, hear the condemnation? Hear the condemnation that's now coming from the elder brother about his younger brother? That's what, that's what perfectionism does. It, it, it tends to turn us in the folk who condemn those who don't rise up to the standard that we are living. This son of yours who's squandered your property on prostitutes comes home. You treat him like a king. Look at how you've been mistreating me. Wow. Yet, the father says very softly to the son, my son, don't you get it? You're always with me. And everything I have is yours. You don't have to earn my love. You don't have to prove your worth. All that you're surrounded with is an expression of my love wrapped up in grace. Come on in the house of grace. Learn how to give, learn from me how to give yourself grace. I've got a friend I'm going to call him Donald. He lives in another part of the country. He's a remarkable leader, he's a fantastic CEO of his organization, an amazing speaker. I was talking to him about this notion of this message, and, and he said to me, he says, you know what, I wrestle with this notion of perfectionism. And he said that as he's done some work uh, on his... Growing up years, he said he he realizes that partly because of the unspoken rules that was in his house. He says that when he was growing up, his father said to him, failure is not an option. And his father drilled that in. And the second rule that his father said to him and drilled into him was, you can do anything you want as long as you are the best at doing it. It's not as long as as you're providing giving your best. No, you've got to be the best at it. He says these messages were just reinforced. And before he knew it, he grew up as a person. He said, here's how he I, I wrote down what he said to me. He says, today, I work too hard because I'm locked into performance. He says, I believe that my value is attached to my performance. He says, my work is tied directly to my identity. He says, I'm always asking, am I doing well enough? Am I doing good enough? I need tons and tons of affirmation, he says. He's describing his own perfectionist tendencies. He says, it's too easy for me to get struck. He's a great speaker. When he gets ready to write his speech, he, if, he, you know, if he can't figure it all out in kind of in, in the initial setting, he, he becomes uh, anxiety provoked, he uh, becomes depressed, uh, he begins to second guess his capabilities, he gets stuck, he freezes And then here's the part that I wrote down that was really amazing. He says that he, like the older brother, is highly critical of himself, but he's also highly critical of anyone else who's in his relationship orbit. He says the moment you become close to him, the bar that he raises for himself is the bar that he raises for you. And and at the end of the day, uh, uh, he, he is just uniquely critical of teammates and family members and friends. And of course there comes anger, right? And there comes this condemnation and there comes all of this stuff that, that comes out of what, what is really a great guy. And then here's how he describes it. He says this, he says, I find myself vacillating between pride and shame. And you can see this in the elder brother. On the one hand, you see him moving towards pride, I'm better than that younger brother. I never went out and, and ended up in a hog pen. I didn't waste all of the money. I didn't do any of that. And there's this notion of pride. And yet there's this notion of shame. But I don't feel like you love me the way that you love me. I don't feel like I've reached the height of approval. I don't feel like I'm enough. And it is to you that the Father says, come on in the house of grace. You don't have anything to prove. You have my love. So here's the invitation, number one. Give yourself and others grace. Let me break this down to you in two really quick points how to do this. Number one, remember that making mistakes is a natural part of the learning process. And so allow yourself and others to learn and grow from them. Check this out. From the moment that you were Protoplasmic substance in your mother's fallopian tube, you were learning. God shaped you to learn. As you grew in your mother's womb, you were learning. The moment you were born into this world, you, you, you were a learner. Your posture was learning, language and faces and, and how to eat and so forth and so on. It is God's posture that you will continue to be a lifelong learner. That is the mindset that you have to take on. This is why God gives us grace. He creates space for us to make mistakes and to fall so that we can keep learning. Once you understand yourself as a lifelong learner, you've got to understand others around you in that same context. Lifelong learner. Secondly, cultivate a spirit of kindness, compassion, and forgiveness in all of your interactions, both with yourself and others. And then thirdly, adjust your self-talk. You could hear this young man's self-talk. You could hear how he's talking, you know, all this time I've been slaving. I bet you he was saying that kind of stuff to himself. for you've never done this for me. This is his self-talk. I want to encourage you. Take the next week, if you fit this criteria, take the next week. And in the evening time. Think back over the course of the day and think about moments when you felt like a failure. It didn't go right. Something went wrong. And then write down what were the things you were saying to yourself? Or if you hear yourself, you know, I'm an idiot. I'm lousy. I can't believe. I don't know how to do it. When you hear yourself talking to yourself in that kind of way, you got to, why don't you interrupt those thoughts and, and cry out grace, grace. if God gives me grace, I'm going to give me. Speak grace into that language. And so that's the first invitation. Start practicing giving yourself and others grace. And then the second piece leads to the second invitation. It focuses on the younger son. I love the this piece, yeah, I, I, we've read it before. I'll just read it again. <laughs> he's coming home to own his responsibility, uh, and he's done the worst of the worst that anyone can do, right? He's feeling horrible. He's full of shame and guilt. And the text says his father saw him coming from a distance and filled with love and compassion. He runs to his son, embraces him, and kisses him. And then, of course, his son owns his responsibility. He says, look, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy, Etc. Etc. And the father interrupts. We talked about this last week. He says to his servant, quick. Go bring, go bring and finest robe from the house and put it on him. With a ring and put it on his finger. Get sandals and put it on his feet. Come on, kill the fatted calf. We've got to celebrate. Now, I just want to picture this, this is a picture of amazing grace. Last week I talked about it. it's not just grace, it's also honor right? That he's dirty and he's muddy and he's filled with all that. The father doesn't wait till he gets cleaned up. He drapes the finest robe on him right now. And what I want you to understand, what I want you to see is that this boy receives it. He doesn't reject it. He doesn't say, oh, no, no, I've got to go clean. He receives it. And in that moment, he realizes he's getting that robe and that ring and those sandals, not because he earned it, but because the father has declared, that's my boy. He's decreed that worthiness in his life. Wow, oh, it's an act of grace. It's an act of grace. You know, uh, I just heard a, a remarkable story. Last year, Father John O'Mallory was this you know, really kind of heroic figure in the Roman Catholic Church, and he died last year in the early 90s. But a number of years ago, the story is told that there was a fella dying in a hospital. And the nurse didn't think he was going to make it through the night. So she called her priest. Father O'Mallory was her priest. It was a horrible rainstorm. What should have took Father O'Mallory like 30 minutes to get to the hospital. It took him like an hour and a half to get there. But he got there. He got to the fellow's bedside, and he kind of said to the fellow, he says, look, I was in the area, thought I'd check in. The fellow growls at the priest. and He says, look, <laughs> you weren't in the area. It's 2 o'clock in the morning. It's storming and raining. Father Mallory says, anything you want to talk about in these final hours, the man wouldn't say anything. So Father Mallory just started talking about life and football and this and that. And before we know it, the man joins in. Three hours later, they're still talking. And then, and then, as the, as the storm is breaking, the sun is beginning to come out. It's early morning. The fellow said, well, Father, there's one thing I want to confess. The father said, what is it? Father Mallory?" A fellow said, 31 years earlier, he worked on the railroad. And he and his buddies were drinking that night, and he was horribly drunk. And it was time to go out and switch so that the tracks would move because the train was coming, and he had to switch to make sure the track, the train switched to the right track. So the fellow went out. He said, but he accidentally pushed the wrong button. Because he did, when the train came, rather than switching, jumping to the right track, it slammed into a passenger vehicle killing the mom, the dad, and the two girls that were in the back seat, the daughters. He said, I've never told anyone this. It's a horrible thing. I've lived with it all my life. He said, I at least want to just confess it to you before I die. I don't think there's any forgiveness for anybody like me, he said. Follow Mallory, paused for quite some time. And then he said to him, there's forgiveness he says, you see, that vehicle that you struck, the train struck, that was my parents and my two little sisters that was killed. But if I can forgive you, and I can forgive you, and I do forgive you, because God is the ultimate forgiver. It was a startling moment. I can't even understand that kind of. And yet in that moment, following Mallory, probably he had 31 years to work this through in his own life, but, but he models for us The love, this amazing grace of God. And so I just want to say to somebody, you're the younger brother and you're looking at your life. You're looking at how horrible you have been or how terrible things are or what a horrible thing that you have done or pattern or a history of just bad mistakes. I just need you to hear this second invitation that comes from the father. Accept God's amazing grace. You can't explain it. You can't, you, 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 you can't understand it. You can't comprehend it. But you've got to be like that younger boy. Let the, let the amazing grace, the finest robe, the ring, the sandals, all of it represents his remarkable love for you. Just receive it. Receive it. And here's how it works. Recognize that you are... Loved by God, no matter what mistakes you may have made in the past or present. And choose. You've got to make the decision. Sometimes you may have to make it ten times in one day. Choose to accept God's grace. That's unmerited favor. His forgiveness, knowing that you don't have to earn it or prove yourself worthy of it. Receive it. The young man didn't earn it as they were draping him with that robe and putting sandals, he realized he didn't earn it. It was a gift. The Father's amazing grace and love. And then here's the third invitation. The the first is focused on the elder brother. The second is focused on the younger brother. But Jesus is the one who's telling the story. And I told you a few weeks ago, he's the faithful brother. And so here's the invitation. Be a dispenser of God's grace in the world. Be a representative of Jesus Christ. Change the world around you by becoming a dispenser of grace. And I've taken the word grace and I've, 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 I've given you some guidance by just taking it and making it a, uh, an acronym here so that we can work it through. Number one, G, practice gratitude. Can you simply say gratitude? Practice gratitude for, for the good things in your life. When we look at Jesus He was full of gratitude and he he poured the gratitude out on the lives of others. Listen, you cannot give what you you don't have. If you take a bottle and you screw the top on the bottle and you put that bottle up on a running water faucet, right? Running water it runs and runs and runs, but the top is on the bottle and then... Five minutes later, you turn the water off and you open the top and you drink. There's nothing in there because there was a top on it. You've got to remove the top off your life and you've got to begin to find a way on a daily basis to find those things that that, that God is pouring blessings into your life. And rather than focus on what's broken and what's a mistake, begin to just name and call out the blessings. Allow gratitude to fill your life. Secondly, R, release resentment and choose to forgive. Release resentment and choose to forgive. We hear Jesus dying on the Calvary's cross and he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. You cannot allow resentment and unforgiveness to become toxic in your soul because that stops you from being an instrument of grace. And then, A, accept imperfection and strive for progress, not perfection. Make your focus, not Perfection, but progress. Jesus picked Peter after Peter denied him three times. Jesus still picked him to lead the church, knowing that Peter still had a lot of more growing to do in his life. But Jesus was not focused on a moment in time of Peter's perfection. He was focused on, over time, Peter's progress. And so it is for you. And you must do the same for yourself. And then see... Cultivate kindness towards yourself and others. Learn to be kind to yourself. To be compassionate to yourself. And then extend compassion and forgiveness and kindness to those around you. Don't be a part of the crew that's canceling people out because they're not perfect or they don't fit your values. Learn to love and be compassionate and seek to build bridges of understanding. Be an instrument of grace. Be Jesus' representative in the world. Go and do that. And he will empower you with his spirit to do it well. Let me leave here. Yeah, you know, I talked about letting go of, of, of uh, toxic resentment. Forgiveness, leaning into forgiveness. I talked about living lives of kindness and generosity. I want to encourage you, just go to our website. There's two series that are there, Acts of Kindness and Made for This. Those are, uh, that's a message. Uh, I want to encourage you. I lay out in lots of details how to do this. Go do it. Go be it. And allow Jesus to live through your life. Amen. Amen.